it divides the country unless there's some conclusive evidence that takes us to that place. Well, we'd hate to divide the country, Madam Speaker. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No way. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountain on KKRN and in Eureka on KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Out in Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you very conveniently on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. Thanks one and all for joining us. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Delighted to have you here with us today here with me and with desi doyan hello desi doyan hello i am here you got a green <laughs> news report for us coming up later yes do you? i do all right fresh out of the oven all right very good we will look forward to that as uh, ever but i want to start here uh, house speaker nancy pelosi on monday said she opposes impeaching donald trump That, according to comments she gave to The Washington Post uh, in her most forceful statement on the issue to date, she said, I'm not for impeachment. This is news. I'm going to give you some news right now because I haven't said this to any press person before. But since you asked and I've been thinking about this, impeachment is so divisive to the country that unless there's something so compelling and overwhelming and bipartisan... I don't think we should go down that path because it divides the country and he's just not worth it. Pelosi had previously said on multiple occasions that it was premature to consider impeachment, that she wanted to wait to see what special counsel Robert Mueller had found. Not that it should be entirely off the table, as she has said in the past about impeachment when it came to George W. Bush. Just last week, Pelosi said that she was uh, wary of impeachment, but that she wanted to see the report. She said impeachment is a divisive issue in our country. And let us see what the facts are, what the law is and what the behavior is of the president. 
She was asked about those comments uh, a little bit later on Capitol Hill on uh, on Monday as she was getting into an elevator, I think. <laughs> yes, this Here's... was a hallway in the U.S. House. Here's what she had to say. I don't believe in it. They wanted me to impeach President Bush for the Iraq War. I didn't believe in it then. I don't believe in it now. It divides the country unless there's some conclusive evidence that takes us to that place. Yes. Yes, Madam Speaker. We did want you to impeach the president during the Iraq War. He deserved to be impeached. Read the Constitution. It's in there. It mentions that. As Cam Joseph over at TPM notes that uh, her remarks are certain to infuriate some progressives and others who believe there's already enough evidence to impeach Trump. Put me in that group. Not the part about being infuriated, but about the part who believes there is more than enough evidence to impeach Donald Trump. Other Democrats have been wary of beginning impeachment proceedings against the president that were unlikely to go anywhere in a divided Congress, worried that it could backfire on them and helped reelect Donald Trump in 2020. The remarks, Joseph also notes, may be aimed at tamping down rising pressure from the left to begin impeachment proceedings. And there is also the a question of whether Pelosi, who as a congressional leader has been privy to private intelligence briefings about the Mueller report, the information that is not available to the public, that perhaps she has seen enough to believe that there won't be sufficient evidence in the Mueller report to build a bipartisan push for impeachment. That could be. But as we've argued on this show, uh, even without the Mueller report, there is more than enough. There is enough to impeach Donald Trump simply based on the hush money payments that he made just before the election, $130,000 to Stormy Daniels, in order to help improve his chances of winning the election to uh, keep her quiet about the, the, uh, the affair that uh, he is said to have had with her. That alone is more than enough. And then you can add another 5, 10, 20 things at least that I see as impeachable uh, offenses. Yeah, I would agree you, with you on that. Definitely. You know, there's the uh, his violation of the emoluments clause where we have evidence that there are foreign countries who are currying favor with Trump by going to visit his ongoing businesses from which he still profits. It's it's basically a form of bribery at this well, point. Well, Desi, there's, this is only an hour program, Sorry, so we, we cannot go, go through all of the things this is that true. he should, in my opinion, the high crimes and misdemeanors that he should be impeached for. NBC notes today, uh, this is uh, Chuck Todd, Mark Murray, and Kerry Dan in their, what are they, this NBC News first read uh, posting they uh, blog every day. They said House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is taking impeachment off the table for Democrats, at least unless something dramatically changes. This might be the, f the best political decision for Democrats heading into 2020 says Todd and Murray and Dan. It changes the conversation away from impeachment, gives at-risk Dems a shield when asked, the, uh, asked about the I-word, uh, and places the burden on Republicans. If Trump is going to get impeached, they note it would take GOP votes to do so. Well, actually, it would take Republican votes to convict in the Senate. Democrats on their own could vote to impeach as per the U.S. Constitution in the U.S. House with a simple majority, which, yes, they have. 
Uh, NBC uh, goes on to ask, but is it the right decision for history, especially if you believe the president of the United States has committed crimes before we even get to the Mueller report? And are Democrats convinced they have the upper hand against Trump in 2020, or is the race more like a 50-50 contest? And I would add here, why the hell should any of that matter? If a president has committed high crimes and misdemeanors, misdemeanors, he should not lead this country. And he should be removed from office, at least put on trial for same. At least that's how I would vote if I was in the House or the Senate, which I should note, I am not. Uh, but, you know, there, there's sort of two tracks here. I, I understand the way of thinking. I understand Nancy Pelosi's way of thinking here. She's thinking uh, about this as she did back in 2016 as a political thing. It's and, a political calculation that she's making. Uh, uh, right. And I, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, back in 2016, they did. Uh, I'm sorry. Back in 2006, I should say uh, they did. Uh, Democrats did end up taking the House and the Senate, and later they ended up taking the White House and holding it for two terms. So I do understand that on a on a political measure. That's not really the measure I'm interested in. I'm interested in making this world safe for politics uh, so that people like Nancy Pelosi and, and, and people who are pushing for Democrats or Republicans or Libertarians or Greens or whoever it is can do so. But, uh, you know, if if there is no accountability, if there is no accountability for a president like this, I, as I've said before, I have no idea what you would ever possibly impeach a president of the United States for if you wouldn't impeach Donald Trump. And as I spent a whole bunch of years after the uh, George W. Bush administration also talking about at Bradblog.com and here on the show, if there is no accountability brought for these people, then they will do it again and they will do it worse, as we are now seeing with Donald Trump. Had there been accountability for George W. Bush, there likely would not have been a Donald Trump. There certainly wouldn't have been a John Bolton in there stoking the war drums against uh, Venezuela, which we'll uh, hopefully get to in a little bit here. But, you know, so to me, it's about accountability. It is not about winning the next election. It is about the rule of law. It is about the Constitution. It is about accountability and making sure that the terrible things that are going on now do not go on again in the future, that you draw a line somewhere. Even if you lose even if it is perhaps a failed impeachment. Sure. And that is a risk, a huge risk that could be taken with that. Of course. Um, if, if, for example, uh, House Democrats go through the entire impeachment proceedings and then it moves to the Senate, where, of course, Republicans will not vote to convict. As, I, don't, I don't know that they will not. Well, that's OK. So we're going by this calculus. In theory. Yeah. Of, in theory, the right. Republicans would not vote to convict mm -hmm. uh, Trump on that and therefore remove him from office. Mm -hmm. If that's what happens, that's what happens. And I understand that, you know, if that did happen afterwards, uh, Donald Trump would say, I'm innocent. See, I've been I've been freed by the Senate. The Senate looked at it and they decided I exonerated. didn't do it. I've been exonerated. Right. Exactly. You know, but there's the problem here with the moral calculation as well, because if we don't move to impeach, regardless of what are crimes or whatever crimes have been committed, because right. it's got to be bipartisan and we can't divide the country. But Republicans will support 
their leader in this theory, no matter what. So it doesn't matter what evidence is presented so, because Republicans will do it anyway. Therefore, there is no reason to ever impeach because it will exactly. never work. Rewrite the Constitution. Take out the whole impeachment clause. It doesn't matter. It will never work. Well, you know what? It will work. It will work if it's a Democrat who they put up. It didn't work for Bill Clinton because there was nothing really impeachable. And, you know, he had a fair trial in the in the Senate and they voted against it. OK, fine. That's what happened. And because uh, uh, Bill Clinton, I guess, went on to win the election, now Democrats are all uh, scared to death. Well, this means that if uh, you bring impeachment against the president and you're not successful, that he's going to win. And I suppose that could be. Maybe that's her, her calculation. But, you know, she said, uh, as NBC notes here, that uh, Pelosi's answer on impeachment was just to buy her could have been to buy her party additional time before the Mueller report comes out. But if that's the case, she oversold that, as NBC said, uh, quoting her saying, I don't think we should go down that path because it divides the country. So a pretty definitive statement, even if the Mueller report comes out with all kinds of crimes and high crimes and misdemeanors. So I think it's a terrible idea. That said, the, the idea of once again taking impeachment off the table, I think it's a terrible, a terrible idea for all sorts of reasons and not just for uh, for Democrats and Donald Trump and everything else, but for the country in the long run. Long after Nancy Pelosi is gone. That said, uh, someone over at uh, Daily Coast, uh, Murfster35, and my apologies, I don't know if it's a he or she. I think it's a he. Uh, notes that, well, uh, what Pelosi is actually doing here is brilliant. OK. She's playing three dimensional chess mm, uh, okay. while everyone else is playing checkers, as they used to say about uh, uh, Barack Obama. Uh, what she's saying is akin to. Uh, I don't really care what you find. This orangutan in a cardinal suit is not worth risking our chances in the 2020 election. Impeachment is off the table. Well, then what comes next? She uh, turns corruption-seeking missiles like Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff loose to turn up every last despicable thing that Trump has ever done in their uh, public hearings, all without the taint of the, impe uh, the impeachment word attached to them. And people's jaws will drop in shock and audacity at what they see in these hearings, and they will demand impeachment at that point. That's the theory here. Murfster says, uh, your kids never want to take that one-a-day vitamin in the morning until you tell them that they can't have it. Well, take impeachment off the table and watch the public polling numbers for impeachment go through the roof when people start seeing Trump's cheap scams unravel on live television. Uh, okay. We'll see. Color me dubious about that. Actually, I'm not dubious about the, the rise in uh, interest in impeachment after people see more and more about what this guy has done. Uh, but, you know, that's why I have no idea why uh, Nancy Pelosi would go and, and, and stick her neck out so far and say, no, I think it divides the country. I think impeachment divides the country. But she is the Speaker of the House. She is not the uh, one who decides this. This can be brought forward uh, by anyone. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even have to be uh, a member of Congress. Other people can bring forward impeachment proceedings or articles of impeachment, introduce them, uh, and then they're brought up in, in, uh, in committee. But even uh, Adam Schiff today, uh, who chairs the Intelligence 
uh, committee in the U.S. House uh, seemed to suggest he was going along with Nancy Pelosi on this one. I think the speaker is absolutely right. In its absence, an impeachment becomes a partisan exercise uh, doomed for failure. Um, and I see little to be gained by putting the country through that kind of wrenching experience, as I've often remarked in the past. Um, the only thing worse than putting the country through the trauma of an impeachment is putting the country through the trauma of a failed impeachment. Okay, fair enough. That in mind, um, when they began impeachment proceedings on Richard Nixon, it was not a bipartisan effort. It took the uh, investigation and the impeachment moving forward and the information coming out uh, that eventually uh, uh, turned things against uh, Richard Nixon, even by the Republicans. Maybe that will happen. The good news here is the investigations are continuing uh, who called it a shadow impeachment uh, the other day? That was, that was Will Bunch. Will Bunch, right? The um, Philly Inquirer. Uh, saying that essentially they are impeaching the president with these investigations. They're just not calling it that. Uh, maybe so. Uh, anyway, uh, you got thoughts on this? Feel free to drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. If you have anything uh, interesting or enlightening, I will uh, see about uh, maybe sharing that as time allows in the days ahead. In the meantime, speaking of accountability for this president one way or another, New York's attorney general has now opened a civil investigation into Donald Trump's business dealings, taking action after his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, told Congress that Trump exaggerated his wealth in order to obtain bank loans. A person familiar with the inquiry said Attorney General Letitia James in New York issued subpoenas on Monday to Deutsche Bank and Investors Bank seeking records related to four Trump real estate projects and his failed 2014 bid to buy the NFL's uh, Buffalo Bills. Trump's former lawyer Cohen told Congress in late February that Trump exaggerated his wealth on financial statements. That's a violation of the law, by the way, just in case you're wondering, uh, on the financial statements that he provided to Deutsche Bank when he was trying to obtain financing in order to buy the bills. Cohn told a House committee that it was common for Trump to overstate his wealth when dealing with the news or banks, but understate his wealth when it came to paying his taxes. Deutsche Bank said in a statement that it remains, quote, committed to cooperating with authorized investigations. Messages uh, left with the Trump Organization were not immediately returned to the Associated Press for some reason today. The subpoenas issued by the New York AG seek loan applications as well as mortgages, credit lines and other documents related to the Trump International Hotel in D.C., to his uh, buildings in Chicago and New York and to a golf course in the Miami area. Several congressional committees have also requested documents from uh, Deutsche Bank, including California Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Uh, she is a Democrat and head of the House Financial Services Committee. She said last week that the uh, bank is now cooperating with her requests. Now, do you think she'll keep quiet about any wrongdoing that she discovers? Do you think she won't demand impeachment if she finds that uh, Donald Trump committed financial crimes? Deutsche Bank, of course, is uh, one of the few major banks willing to uh, lend to Donald Trump. 
he has borrowed billions of dollars from the German bank over the years. In May, five Democratic members of the House of Representatives sent a letter to Deutsche Bank asking the bank to turn in any records relating to Trump's accounts and any ties to Russia. But the bank refused at the time, saying that it had to respect legal requirements to keep client data private. But now, of course, Democrats have subpoena power in the U.S. House so they can demand such documents if needed and if they choose, which might be why the bank is now said to be cooperating with Waters House Financial Services Committee. But meanwhile, back in New York State, the uh, the new attorney general there, Letitia James, a Democrat, she had pledged to take to uh, take a very close look into Trump's business practices, saying after her victory last November that she would be, quote, shining a bright light into every dark corner of his real estate dealings and every dealing, she said. Her office is also overseeing a lawsuit against the Trump Charitable Foundation after uh, her predecessor had sued Trump over the operation of Trump University, his fraudulent real estate school, a case which he settled by paying $25 million after his election and before taking office. Previously, a separate New York state agency which regulates uh, insurance companies said that they have uh, launched an inquiry into Cohen's allegations that Trump also misled insurance companies about his financial worth. So there could be charges brought there as well. There will be plenty of uh, accountability, I suspect, being brought uh, in one way or another against this president. But on a political level, that is what impeachment is for. Trump said that uh, Cohen is just lying to try to get out of a prison sentence for tax evasion, campaign finance violations that he carried out for Donald Trump and with and at the direction of Donald Trump and making false statements uh, to banks and lying to Congress, which, again, he did for Donald Trump. Michael Cohen is going to jail for that. So far, Donald Trump is not. And Nancy Pelosi apparently does not even want to hold him accountable via impeachment for it, despite the fact that presidents, according to uh, Justice Department guidelines, which are based on a faulty analysis, at least in my opinion, uh, because of those guidelines, a sitting president cannot be indicted in theory, even for the things that Michael Cohen, who isn't president, is now being forced to go to jail for. All right. One more before we get to our break here. Speaking of subpoenas, uh, the Department of Justice finally has issued subpoenas for a federal grand jury investigation into allegations of election fraud in North Carolina's 9th Congressional District. Well, it took you long enough. The U.S. Department of Justice's Public Integrity Section has issued at least three subpoenas for documents related to the 9th Congressional District, according to Charlotte's WBTV. The subpoenas come less than a month after the North Carolina State Board of Elections voted unanimously to hold a new election in the 9th District, the one vacant seat now in the U.S. House where no one has been seated following the 2018 elections. That vote by the State Board of Elections came at the abrupt end of a four-day evidentiary hearing held by the State Board that concluded with 
very dramatically with Republican Mark Harris, the candidate who received the winning number of votes in the 20, uh, November 2018 contest. He received uh, he, he is said to have won by just 905 votes out of more than 280,000 cast. Uh, it ended with Mark Harris uh, admitting on the stand that he had, yes, given incorrect testimony. In other words, he lied to investigators uh, and with Harris then calling for a new election and then standing up, walking off the witness stand and walking out of the room. Very dramatic. That, after the even more dramatic testimony by Mark Harris's own son, who happens to be a federal prosecutor himself. He's now an assistant U.S. attorney in North Carolina. He stunned the hearing room and both sides uh, in this matter by taking the stand and testifying that his own father knew in advance about the type of absentee ballot election fraud that was carried out by a contractor that his father had hired to run his absentee ballot campaign in 2018. That guy, McCray Dallas, uh, had done the very same thing back in 2016. During that election, after which the state elections director in North Carolina at the time had referred the matter to federal uh, prosecutors, essentially begging them to investigate and bring charges against Dallas after the 2016 election. But Donald Trump's Department of Justice, they ignored the matter entirely, focusing instead on supposed non-citizen voting instead of a guy who was actually out there stealing entire elections, apparently. So Dowless uh, was then free to carry out the same scam that he did in 2016. He was able to do it again in 2018 uh, on behalf of Republican Mark Harris, as well as uh, the local sheriff in Bladen County. And now, finally, the good news is that the feds are uh, finally taking some action, or at least seemingly taking some action, issuing these subpoenas for a federal grand jury investigation. Now, a week after the state board's hearing concluded, uh, state prosecutors filed multiple count indictments against McCray Dallas and another of uh, and, and a number of other uh, uh, folks that he was working with on behalf of Harris to rig that absentee ballot operation in the 2018 election. Uh, so they have been charged in uh, in state court, but only for now, only for uh, what happened in the 2016 general election and the 2018 primary. Nobody has been charged on either the state or federal level um, for what happened in the general election in 2018, which has been uh, nullified and a new election is coming later this year. But now federal investigators are finally looking into this matter. Uh, Patrick Gannon, a uh, North Carolina State Board of Elections spokesperson, confirmed late on Monday night that the board had received a subpoena from the Justice Department to produce, quote, all documents related to the investigation of election irregularities affecting counties within the 9th Congressional District. And uh, today, the uh, board director, Kim Strack, issued a statement addressing the subpoena and the related federal investigations, saying, quote, we support the efforts of state and federal authorities to investigate and prosecute crimes against the elections process. State board staff are compiling records responsive to the federal grand jury subpoena and are prepared to assist federal and state prosecutors in their investigations. 
We hope that prosecutions in these cases will help restore voters' confidence in our elections and serve as a strong deterrent to future elections fraud. Well, gosh, I I hope these prosecutions aren't divisive. (laughs) I hope they don't divide the country. Maybe we shouldn't bring these because they're going to be against, you know, Republicans. Probably. Maybe. We'll see. Anyway, Kim Strack was the one who was begging the uh, the U.S. attorney uh, in uh, in 2017 to bring charges against these guys in uh, back uh, after the 2016 election. Separately, an attorney for Dallas uh, confirmed her client had received a grand jury subpoena. A spokesperson for Mark Harris's campaign said the campaign has also received a subpoena in connection with the federal investigation. So maybe, perhaps, we'll see there might be some accountability for Republican Mark Harris in that case as well. The um, subpoenas request documents for grand jury proceedings scheduled to be held April 16 through 18 of this year. We'll keep our eyes on it, as you may have guessed, right here on the broadcast. Quick break, and we are back with Eyes Open on Venezuela right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. We're still on the Watchtower right here on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The uh, U.S. said late on Monday that it is pulling its last remaining diplomats from Venezuela, saying their continued presence at the country's embassy in Caracas had become a, quote, constraint on U.S. policy as the Trump administration aggressively looks to oust President Nicolas Maduro, according to Associated Press today. The announcement came from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo in a tweet shortly before midnight. It comes as Venezuela struggles to restore electricity following four days of largely unexplained blackouts around the country. Of course, it depends who you might listen to. As far as far as the reasons for that blackout, the U.S. has led an international effort to replace uh, Maduro, the uh, elected president of, uh, of Venezuela, with opposition leader Juan Guaido, who declared himself president pretty much out of nowhere a few weeks ago. And the U.S. and some 50 other countries backed him in that. I don't know why they didn't back me the, later the same day. I also declared my pre- myself the president of Venezuela. Well, yeah, I mean, if that's the standard, you just declare it. That's all you got to do. Uh, Maduro ordered all U.S. diplomats to leave Venezuela in late January because of their support for Guaido, but he uh, later retreated, allowed them to stay. The U.S. nonetheless withdrew the bulk of the embassy personnel at the time, leaving just a skeleton staff behind. Pompeo said the remaining diplomats will all be out of Venezuela by the end of the week. 
but gave no indication of future policy steps despite past warnings that, quote, all options, including the use of military force, are on the table for removing Maduro. That move came after uh, another day of chaos as power outages that began Thursday evening continued to cause problems for Venezuelans, leaving them with little power or water or communications. Leaving a three-year-old girl with a brain tumor languishing in a Caracas hospital uh, awaiting treatment after doctors started surgery, but then suspended the operation when nationwide power outages first hit on Thursday, according to the girl's terrified mother. Uh, She said, the doctors told me there are no miracles. Um, She's hoping that her daughter can be transferred Tuesday to one of the few hospitals in Venezuela. Uh, that has power that would be able to finish the complex procedure. President Nicolas Maduro said on national television on Monday night that progress had been made in restoring power in Venezuela. He also said two people who were allegedly trying to sabotage power facilities were captured and were providing information to authorities, though uh, he gave no details on that. Guaido, who heads the opposition-controlled Congress, And the U.S. uh, say that Maduro's claims that the U.S. sabotaged the power grid with a cyber attack are an attempt to divert attention from the government's own failings. But are they saying they did or didn't do that cyber attack? Um, Or is, you know, the U.S. sending the message here that, well, I guess using cyber attacks to shut down power grids, that's just fine now. I guess, no matter how many three-year-olds are are left in the middle of brain surgery. The blackouts also hit the oil industry. The country hasn't shipped $358 million in oil since the uh, power failures started last week. Early on Monday, an explosion is said to have rocked a power station uh, in uh, one part of Caracas. Guado said... That three of four electricity transformers servicing the area were knocked out for some reason. He blamed the blackouts on government corruption and mismanagement. The head of Venezuela's Electrical Engineers Union, which opposes the government, that would be opposing Maduro, disputed the uh, government allegations that the country's main hydroelectric dam was sabotaged last week. He blamed a lack of maintenance as well as the departure of skilled workers from the troubled country over the years. But this is why, uh, you know, all of this, we don't know what's going on in Venezuela. And we're getting a lot of really bad information from the media and certainly from the administration, the Trump administration and its supporters. So this is all by way of saying be very skeptical of just about anything and everything that you hear right now being reported out of Venezuela, since a lot of it, particularly coming from U.S. officials, including the administration and several Republican members of Congress, uh, should not be believed, as the New York Times revealed this week in some very good journalism that I was very happy to see, a video analysis published Sunday by The New York Times contradicts claims by senior Trump administration officials and by Senator Marco Rubio that Venezuelan forces loyal to President Nicolas Maduro were responsible for a fire last month that consumed trucks 
uh, attempting to carry food into Venezuela. Remember this? This got a lot of coverage at the time. Guys like uh, Trump's national security advisor, John Bolton, and, and Marco Rubio were just outraged about the incident that Maduro was keeping aid trucks, food, medicine from coming into the country and actually set aid trucks on fire. Uh, that's how terrible this Maduro is. Well... Apparently, uh, what American journalists seem to be reporting unskeptically at the time was not really the case. Nonetheless, the U.S. used the uh, burning trucks as rhetorical ammunition for the administration's call for Maduro's ouster. Senior Trump officials uh, like John Bolton and others uh, were citing this uh, fire at the time. John Bolton tweeted, Maduro has lied about the humanitarian crisis in Venezuela. He, con he contracts criminals to burn food and medicine intended for the Venezuelan people, and now he is lying about purported aid from Russia. Senator Marco Rubio uh, said uh, he, he said that the trucks were burned by Maduro in a tweet. He said each of the trucks burned by Maduro carried 20 tons of food and medicine. This is a crime. And if international law means anything, Maduro must pay a high price for this. But the New York Times investigation appears to show that those statements from Bolton, from Rubio, were totally incorrect. According to a Times video analysis over the weekend, which the paper based on unpublished TV footage and which we will link to at bradblog.com when we post today's story so you can look at it with your own eyes, the fire appears to have been the result of a Molotov cocktail thrown from the Colombian side of the Venezuela-Colombia border where these trucks were held up. That's the side of... Uh, protesters attempting to escort the aid supplies across a bridge into Venezuela, not from Maduro's forces on the Venezuelan side of the border. As I said, I'll post this video so you can look at it for yourself, but I want to play it because it's uh, good New York Times reporting here, and I, I think it uh, holds up on radio so you can understand what appears to have actually gone on. An American aid convoy engulfed in flames at a border crossing between Colombia and Venezuela. The scene has become a critical flashpoint in the political and economic crisis gripping the country. Senior U.S. officials immediately seized on the incident blaming President Maduro and his supporters for intentionally torching the convoy. But an investigation by The Times calls this conclusion into serious question and shows that U.S. officials raced to judgment without the full facts. How did we get here? The Venezuelan crisis came to a head in early 2019, when opposition leader Juan Guaido declared himself president in a bid to unseat Nicolas Maduro, whose authoritarian rule and economic mismanagement resulted in searing poverty. Backed by the U.S., Guaido mobilized his followers to bring American aid into Venezuela, but Maduro blocked border crossings and denied entry. On February 23rd, four aid trucks arrived at a bridge on the Colombian side of the border. Guaido supporters cleared a path and drove the trucks toward Venezuela. 
security forces repelled them, firing tear gas and rubber bullets. And the aid trucks got stuck on the bridge. The Colombian government released this annotated footage of the standoff. They circle the Venezuelan police near the trucks before the fire breaks out. The implication appears to be that the Maduro regime caused the fire. But note the timestamp in the footage they circulated. It suddenly jumps ahead by 13 minutes and misses the critical moments leading up to the fire. We obtained previously unseen TV footage that fills this gap and tells a more complicated story. So let's back up the TV footage and see what happened. A small group of protesters starts throwing rocks and Molotov cocktails. We'll focus on this one protester. Here we see him throwing two Molotovs toward police. Let's look at the scene again. Four trucks are stranded on the bridge. The protester approaches from here, behind the third truck. He launches one Molotov, but the second one separates, and the burning rag veers off toward the trucks, not the police. Let's fast forward a little, and we'll synchronize the security footage. We can see that a fire has taken hold on one of the trucks. This is just 30 seconds after the burning rag landed in this area. This sequence of events shows the fire was most likely started by an errant Molotov, not by Maduro security forces. In minutes, the cargo is ablaze. As this journalist turns the corner to get a better angle, she takes the same route as the protester who threw the Molotov and points her camera in the direction the rag went, where a fire is now blazing. This was the start of the fire that spread rapidly and consumed three trucks. Both police and protesters scrambled to contain the scene. As the chaos was unfolding, the incident quickly escalated into a political firestorm. A Venezuelan journalist tweeted this report, blaming Maduro. Twelve minutes later, Senator Marco Rubio retweeted the unsubstantiated claim. National Security Advisor John Bolton weighed in soon after. And then USAID Administrator Mark Green claimed that Maduro had ordered the burning. Secretary of State Pompeo tweeted out the same visuals that evening. None of the U.S. officials offered any definitive evidence supporting their claim. They doubled down on Sunday talk shows. There's a sick tyrant, Maduro, who's denying food to starving Venezuelans and medicine to sick Venezuelans, burning trucks with... Uh, this, this, this is the, the worst of the worst of a tyrant. And officials continued to cite the burning trucks at the UN Security Council. Armed gangs, thugs and criminals released from prisons were mobilized to control the border. Their actions led to the burning of humanitarian assistance rather than its protection. It's true that Maduro has a horrific human rights record and that he deploys armed gangs called colectivos to terrorize the opposition. But in this specific incident, our analysis shows U.S. officials use unverified claims to spin their side of the story. Officials we contacted either did not comment or failed to provide evidence supporting their claims. What happened on the bridge is a classic example of how misinformation spreads online. A rumor or unproven claim is made. It's amplified by influential people. Mainstream media brings it to the masses. Venezuelan National Guardsmen, under orders from President Nicolas Maduro, attacked two aid trucks yesterday, lighting them on fire. And in this case, 
there were real-life consequences. Effective today, the United States will impose additional sanctions on regime officials. And those new sanctions were triggered, in part, by the burning of aid trucks on the bridge. An excellent report there from the New York Times, an important report there from the New York Times. Uh, responding to that report, Rubio uh, spokesperson said, uh, quote, Maduro bears full responsibility for the destruction of humanitarian aid. Spokesperson for the National Security Council, which uh, John Bolton leads, said Maduro is responsible for creating the conditions for violence. His thugs denied the entry of tons of food and medicine while thousands of courageous volunteers sought to safeguard and deliver aid to Venezuelan families. Well, one of those courageous volunteers was apparently throwing a Molotov cocktail. Now, Maduro forces were, in fact, blocking the aid. And Guaido supporters were, in fact, throwing Molotov cocktails and apparently ended up burning their own aid trucks. So I'm not suggesting I'm not making the argument uh, who is the good guy and who is the bad guy here. But with the U.S. pulling out uh, the last of our diplomats and saying that uh, all options are on the table, including including the use of military force, it seems like it would be good if we had uh, some better information about what's actually going on and why the U.S. might be considering using uh, military force in yet another foreign excursion. And the fact that, uh, frankly, Bolton, neither Bolton nor Rubio uh, were able to admit that their claims were actually 100 percent false, as proven by that Times video report, uh, does not reflect well on them or where this whole mess is going. And none of it, by the way, kept Rubio from being laughably wrong yet again. Remember, Rubio had uh, tweeted that uh, Maduro was burning trucks just 12 minutes after the uh, incident happened before he had any clue what really happened. And then John Bolton did it minutes later. And then Secretary of State Mike Pompeo goes on TV saying that Maduro is the worst of the worst of tyrants, that he's burning trucks. Mike Pence goes out and announces we will have new sanctions against Venezuela based on this incident that apparently did not happen at all. Well, uh, Marco Rubio has apparently learned nothing from that. And now deleted tweet on Sunday. Rubio announced that an explosion had occurred at the German dam in Venezuela and caused widespread electri uh, elect electricity outages. Uh, he said he tweeted uh, today another transformer explosion at the German dam in Bolivar state caused another massive blackout. The result critically ill patients have died. The Caracas Metro remains out of service and few, if any, flights have arrived at or departed from Caracas in over 20 hours. Well, why did Marco Rubio delete that tweet? Uh, well, a transformer explosion uh, did cause massive blackouts, uh, but it did not happen at any dam, much less the German dam, who is actually a journalist, not actually a barrier of water. Uh, as it turns out, uh, the reporter in question, his name is uh, Hermann Dam. But it's spelled uh, German Dam. But it's spelled German Dam. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, he had tweeted out originally about this explosion. 
and a guy, a man, a person by the name of Hermann Dam or German Dam, if you're Marco Rubio. And that led Marco Rubio to go out and tweet another explosion at the German Dam in Bolivar State. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, uh, Hermann Dam uh, replied, responded finally to say, Senator Rubio, an important transformer exploded in Bolivar and that in part again collapsed the Venezuela electric system. However, it was not in a dam, much less German. My name is Hermann Dam, and I am one of the journalists who published the original information. And yet, we may be about ready to go to war in Venezuela. Thanks to idiots like Marco Rubio, John Bolton, Mike Pence, and Donald Trump, who would do anything and everything at this point to distract from the uh, many problems that he seems to be having back in Washington, D.C. Now, you know, good reporting from The New York Times. Thank you for that. Glad we could share that quick break and some good reporting from Desi Doyen in our Green News Report coming up right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. And that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, Des. Yeah? You got anything in your Green News report about the German dam in Venezuela? <laughs> no. No? No, because I actually realized what was going on. It's not a no. hydroelectric well, yeah. uh, dam. Then, uh, yeah. I mean, okay. an explosion and a dam, that would be news. But You're just ignoring <laughs> it. You're just covering it up. You're just a tool for... For big dam? For, for big dam. Uh, all right. Well, with that, let's get to it. Our latest big dam Green News report. Youth organizations are calling for an unprecedented strike this week in which students from around 40 countries are expected to participate. Actually, now teens from 90 countries around the world plan global day of strikes for climate action. Trump formally nominates oil and gas lobbyists to head the Interior Department. Wyoming's coal industry gets a bailout. Plus, we're not going to bring about serious political change in this country until we deal with the media. Bernie Sanders, right in 1989 about media coverage of climate change in 2018. All of that rightness and wrongness straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Nothing is more extreme than the Democrats' plan to completely destroy America's economy through their new $100 trillion Green New Deal. <laughs> $100 trillion? As long as you're making stuff up, why not $100 gabillion quadrillion gazillion dollars? This is your Green News Report. I'm gonna soak up the sun. 
Okay, Desi Doyen, a new oil and gas guy is being installed at Interior? <laughs> yes, pretty much. Environmental and conservation groups are condemning President Trump's formal nomination of Deputy Interior Secretary David Bernhardt to replace the scandal-plagued Ryan Zinke as the agency's chief. Bernhardt is a former lobbyist for the fossil fuel and mining industries. He will gain authority, if confirmed, over which companies receive federal contracts and permits to extract natural resources from the public's lands. In a statement, environmental law group Earth Justice said, quote, Bernhardt's client roster reads like a who's who of the worst corporate polluters in the United States. So we now have a coal lobbyist who heads the EPA. We will soon have an oil and gas lobbyist heading interior. Yep. If this swamp gets any more drained, I don't know what we're going to do. Meanwhile, in Wyoming, a bailout handout for failing coal-fired power plants that can no longer compete on the market with cleaner, cheaper natural gas and renewables. Wyoming's Republican Governor Mark Gordon and its Republican-majority state legislature just passed a new law that blocks the state's electric utilities from closing their uneconomic coal plants and then requires them to sell the plant instead and then buy the electricity from their old coal plant even when a cheaper energy source is available. (laughs) Sounds a lot like socialism to me, just saying. And where were the Republicans who used to complain that we couldn't use renewables because it required government subsidies. And by the way, the higher costs get passed on to ratepayers. Montana state lawmakers are also considering a bailout for coal. Now, here's a blast from the past. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders on C-SPAN in 1989, warning that the corporate media was failing to cover climate change. One would think that the CBSs and the NBCs of the world would be doing primetime specials on these programs, having different scientists talking about the issues, involving people in understanding what's going on in terms of our planet. They don't. So I would say that we're not going to bring about serious political change in this country until we deal with the media. Well, Bernie Sanders was right as he was talking about what he called the greenhouse effect back in 1989. And he is still right, sadly enough, 30 years later. Yes, he is. This week, a new analysis by Media Matters finds that broadcast media coverage of climate change actually fell in 2018 compared to 2017, despite 2018 being marked by historic extreme weather events that were intensified by man-made global warming. The broadcast TV news outlets coverage of climate change dropped 45 percent from 2017 levels. Nearly a third of that came from just one episode of Meet the Press focused on climate change. And less than 20 percent of that dismal coverage included solutions. So that means that Americans not only aren't hearing about the consequences of climate change, they're also not hearing about the solutions on their own public airwaves. Shameful. But They do note that that is changing in 2019, thanks to the Green New Deal introduced by Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Finally, the climate strike movement inspired by Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg is going global. On Friday, March 15th, kids in more than 90 countries around the world, including here in the United States, will walk out of school in a global day of action to demand their governments mobilize to address man-made climate change. At a rally in Belgium, last week, Thunberg explained that kids are striking because they must act to protect their own future. For way too long, the politicians and the people in power have gotten away with not doing anything to fight the climate crisis. And we will make sure that they will not get away with it anymore. 
We are striking because we have done our homework and they have not. Incredible. One teen decides to stay home from school and now it's become a global movement. Yep. Good for Greta Thunberg. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. This is the moment. Tonight is the night. We'll fight till it's over. So we put our hands up like the ceiling can't hold us. Like the ceiling can't hold us. Oh, yeah. You know... I like that Greta Thunberg. I she do, too. She is changing the world. She just, uh, had I known as a kid, I would have just stayed home from school had I known I could change the world <laughs> and stay home from school. Yes, and I do want to point out a great interview that we have linked to at bradblog.com regarding Greta Thunberg and the personal adversity she has had to overcome just to get to where she is today to do this. Um, she is a really inspiring person, and I think uh, everybody should understand how important and how difficult this was for her to step out in front of people and and mm. fight for this. Yeah. And then the second thing, I just want to make sure that whenever you hear of the Green New Deal, whenever you hear a Republican saying it's going to cost $90 billion trillion, they're all lying about it. The Green $100 trillion, said uh, billion dollars. Yes. Yeah, all of that is a lie. Um, the Green New Deal is just a framework, a resolution. There is no legislation, therefore there is no cost scoring that can go with that. So that's all a lie when people say that. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. You bet. Never lying. Our producer, Desi Doyen, my thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download all of them for free at bradblog.com, or you can stop by bradblog.com slash donate, where you can donate up to $100 trillion. <laughs> to our efforts here to stay on your public airwaves. Bradblog.com slash donate. Thanks in advance. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I will see you there. And until then, we'll see you tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. We give it to the people. Spread it across the country. Can we go back? This is the moment. Tonight is the night. But that's what you get when Wu-Tang raised you. Y'all can't stop.